everyone. Thank you for listening in to another episode of the Community Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Cole Warner, and co-hosting with me today is Chelsea Sears. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for listening. So we have a hospice of Davidson County own guest on with us today, uh, Laura Fleming. She is uh, a nurse liaison for our facility teams, and she has been with Hospice of Davidson County for a year and has spent a lot of years, though, working in the facilities. Um, And and we kind of throw around that term uh, like everyone knows what that means, but we're going to dive into what that means today versus long-term care settings versus skilled nursing facilities and and all that and sort of how hospice care works in there. So uh, Laura Fleming is a RN, BSN, Bachelor's of Science in Nursing, and we are so happy to talk with her today. Thank you for coming on, Laura. Thank you for having me. So let's just start with, because I think some people, first off, we want to learn about what long-term care facilities are, and and I'm sort of preluding to an episode that we're going to have in a few weeks, uh, sort of highlighting a specific one that we work with, but we really want to focus on hospice work in long-term care settings today. So, so Laura, if you can just give us a picture of, of what your role is. Yeah, so I'm the nurse liaison with hospice. So what we do is we go into facilities, we work hand in hand with their staff, we find out if a patient is eligible or qualifies for hospice, and if so, I dive into their chart, I see how we can help that facility, I explain to the facility how we can help them, how we can work with them. And then I call their family, I go see the patient, and I explain to the patient and the family, and I kind of give them an overview of how we can help them. And so what we can do is, once I start looking into their chart, I talk to them, and so I tell the family how we get to help within the facility. So we get to go, we have a nurse who gets to go into the facility, they go in at least once a week. And so they get to help work with the facility staff and we just become an additional support. So none of this is conflicting and none of this takes away anything from what the facility is providing. So they still get the 24 hour daycare that the facility gives them, but then they just get us an addition. So when the nurse comes in, she's gonna come in at least once a week. She comes in, she gives all the care that she typically does it kind of becomes like a mini doctor's visit. We look to see how the medication's working for that patient. We look to see, is their pain controlled? Are their symptoms managed? Do they need refills on anything? And we just help them in their entirety. And then we also have CNAs. Our CNAs get to go in. They go in typically about twice a week into facilities. So the CNAs are, in my eyes, one of the biggest blessings that we offer. They offer just complete tender loving care. So they give a bed bath if that's what the patient needs. If the patient needs a shower, they meet the patient where they are. And so they give the care that that patient's requiring. And then they also will change bed linens and they just spend so much extra time. Um, Facilities are just so swamped and just like everybody in 2022, everybody's struggling with staffing. And so it's hard for CNAs within a facility to really be able to give that one-on-one love and care that they really just their hearts want to be able to give each person. And our CNAs get to kind of help take some of their loads that off of them and get to help them with our patients. And it's just a huge blessing in my eyes. And so we get to help these facilities. We get to kind of teach the staff even. So we're helping their staff. We're helping educate them. All of the staff at facilities, nurses, med techs, everything like that, we all receive generalized education but you can only get so much when you're in school. 
because it's so condensed trying to give you an entire view of education that you could ever need in any specialty. So with hospice, we are specialized in end-of-life care. So we get to really educate them, hey, this is what they can use for symptom management. This is what you can use to try to help any type of symptoms with end-of-life care. We educate them on what they'll get to see and how they can help manage those issues. So issues such as like, if a patient is saying they have pain in their feet, so many facilities will be like, hey, let's give that pain medicine. Instead of giving the pain medicine, our nurse might be able to, or even our CNAs might look at it and be like, hey, let's see if we can kind of help it in a different way. Try taking the blankets off, see if that pressure, because the patient's in that bed 24 hours a day. So if you take that blanket off their foot, it's making the pressure come off their foot. They might love that. That might be alleviating all the pain that they were having before. I'm curious because you you sort of gave us a really nice picture of hospice work in these facilities. How does it differ depending on the type? Hospice of Davis County has uh, partnerships with a lot of wonderful long-term care facilities in our region. How does it look differently if, if say, a patient with a different diagnosis, such as dementia and Alzheimer's versus someone who might be in a skilled nursing facility receiving, you know, I know that we don't have a whole lot that do physical therapy and things, but maybe they're up moving around a, a bit more. And, and there's, there's a big difference in the type of care they need, right? Right. So kind of what you're talking about is an assisted living facility versus like a skilled facility. So assisted living typically is a patient who's a little bit more independent, a little bit more capable. So typically an assisted living patient, they're private pay for one, so they're paying for their room and board. And they also typically can kind of provide their own ADLs, which is their activities of daily living. So if they're kind of able to provide a little bit more for themselves, they're requiring a little bit less assistance. So typically an assisted living facility, they typically only have, if any, one nurse on staff. And so having our nurse be able to come in, it really gives that additional little bit of support that can really examine, see what this patient has going on. A skilled facility has typically more nurses. It's patients who do require a lot more assistance. Someone who might require total assistance with bathing, grooming, dressing, feeding themselves. And those people typically require an extra level that especially families at home would have trouble managing on their own. And then there's, um, if a patient has Alzheimer's or dementia, there might be a locked memory care unit. So typically those units are all self-sufficient. It's a unit that has a locked door and then we have to ring a doorbell, then we're able to enter and they have their own dining room, they have their own kitchen, they have their own, a little bit of everything. They have their own family room. It's just beautiful because they provide their own activities back there and they have their own activity department. And it really gives that patient just beautiful care because that's their home. When you are talking to families um, in the beginning process, when you said you kind of dive through their chart, meet with the patient, meet with the family, and you start talking about hospice being an additional support, do you at that time include all the other disciplines that are able to come in? And does it make a difference in what kind of facility they're living at versus skilled and assisted? Do our additional supports change depending on their location? And what are those additional supports if you do go over them? Okay. So we do have the nurses, like I explained, they would go at least once a week more if needed. Our CNAs typically go about twice a week. 
um, again, more if needed, it's by case by case basis. We have a social worker in, um, in skilled facilities, typically with that patient being a little bit more extensive in their progression and a disease process. A lot of them are not as coherent to be able to communicate with us. So we heavily rely upon families and working with families. So our social worker at that point becomes for the patient, but also for the family. She's always for the family, but in that circumstance, it's a little heavily weighed more so in the family aspect. And she can help them with any type of resources, things we couldn't even fathom, stuff we don't know that we don't even know. And she just has all the resources in the world. We also offer a chaplain um, and the chaplain works with family, with the patient. And it's one of those things we talked about previously in a podcast that we had. And we offer all of these things. So many people typically want maybe one thing, two things, but sometimes they don't want everything in its entirety. But it is a package of just beautiful knit together. And there's a reason we offer all these things. And they all work so well together just to support that family that I think every offer of every discipline that we bring to these patients and families helps them in their own way. Laura, I appreciate you touching on a specific piece there about, you know, some families choose to have all the services we offer. Some choose to have just a certain amount, but really they're there for a reason, right? And hospice care in general, you know, we talk about it on here all the time. It's, it's sticky. It's, it's sometimes something that we don't always want to talk about, right? And electing hospice can be difficult. Take that into, you know, maybe placement of a loved one into a, a long-term care facility. Maybe you were a, a caregiver for them in the home or their disease progression has just gotten to the point where they no longer can take care of themselves and, and they need to be in some place where they can be safe. It's, it's hard for families, can you speak to that a little bit and what you see in your experience and sort of what you talk with people about when, when it comes to that fear and that anxiety surrounding placement or placement and hospice? That's actually one of my favorite things. I get to help families. That's such a hard transition going from taking care of this loved one at home or if they all of a sudden declined rapidly, they all of a sudden went into the hospital and you had no time to mentally prepare for this. And it's more than you could manage to take home. And it's one of those things where you're there at their most vulnerable time, not only in the patient's mind, but in the family's too, because it's so much to wrap your head around. And I love the fact that I have experience within a facility. I worked there for four to five years and um, it just is so beautiful to me because again, it's their home that becomes, that facility will become their home. And so when someone's coming there, you're coming into their home. It's a new environment. So even someone with dementia, it becomes a hard transition. Any type of transition is hard, but especially someone who's confused, they don't understand with that new realm of where they are. And I recently went through this with my grandparents. My grandpa passed away with hospice and my grandma just was begging. She didn't want to be a burden on us. And she has Alzheimer's. So she actually went on a memory care unit because she kept trying to pack up and for lack of better words, almost run away in a way because she wanted to go back to her home when that was no longer an option. And so a locked memory care unit ended up being our only option for her, which maintained her safety. So she didn't get herself hurt by trying to wander into a street. 
And so it really helps these families, if you can relate to them, explain to them what these facilities offer and kind of give them a sense of peace almost, especially offering hospice within that facility, they're not only going to receive that facility care, but they're also going to receive our care. You're going to receive all the resources the facility offers and all the resources hospice offers. And none of those are conflicting with one another. They all just mirror and blend beautifully together in a way that we get to work with them and help them. And we're all there for them, for the patient and for the family. And what you said about that sense of peace, especially when you mentioned earlier that you know, a lot of facilities are experiencing staff shortages. And so when hospice can come in and be an additional support for these families, it, it makes sense that that is a sense of peace knowing, yes, right now my family member may have to be here due to different circumstances, but I know with hospice being in there, extra set of multiple different eyes taking care of my loved one. And so when you're in these conversations with these families, how do you kind of, I guess, relay that so that way just like your grandma was wanting not to be a burden like do you have those those similar conversations with family members who are kind of experiencing oh we don't want to burden too many people and things like that knowing that hospice is there to kind of alleviate all the time so if you're going through one of those vulnerable points in your life it really helps just having someone there to talk to if someone's going to listen that gives you all the reassurance in the world i think we all know if a necessity such as putting a loved one into a facility is needed, we all kind of know in the back of our head that that is a need, but it's just having someone else reassure, this is not on you. You are not making this decision to ruin your family's life. You're making this decision to help yourself and help your family. Because if you maintain having someone live at home with you and they're no longer at a point where you can handle managing the progression that they're at, it's not gonna benefit them or you. You're gonna give yourself mental burnout. Facilities allow families to be able to talk to them. During COVID especially, that was the hardest time because some of the facilities had issues where doors were closed. Families weren't able to come visit like they were previously. And it just changed the entire environment. Phones still work, windows still work. I would have when I worked at the facilities, families would just park a little lawn chair outside of a window and just get on the phone with these loved ones and just talk to them. And you can still, you can't physically touch, but you can touch that window. The other person can touch the window and you can feel the love through that window. You might not be in the same room, but you can still have that love moment. And so these families just need to understand that they honestly are doing the best interest for their family and their loved one. They're looking out for them. They're looking out for themselves. It's so hard nowadays to be able to be at home 24 hours a day. It's so hard to find a caregiver who you trust. Just like with a kid, it's hard to find someone you can trust to watch them if you need to go to the grocery, if you need to even go to the bathroom. It's scary if someone requires 24 hour supervision, it's scary to go to the bathroom because you're leaving that patient alone or that family loved one alone. So to have a facility that has 24 hour a day care is beautiful because they're there working hand in hand together. It's not one person, it's a whole team. They get to rotate shifts. When it's just you, you don't rotate that shift with anyone. It's so interesting to me, Laura, uh, to hear you talk about it because you clearly have a ton of passion uh, for specifically this work, but especially with helping families to feel more comfortable with 
this experience, whether it's with hospice or, or in your long-term care facility. And uh, like I said, we are going to talk a little bit more in depth about long-term care with one of our community partners, but also from the hospice side of it, Laura, if you had one message for families who have a hospice, a loved one on hospice, who they have a terminal prognosis and they're, you, you sit at best with one of those vulnerable moments, right? They're there and they're considering placement. Maybe they're feeling overwhelmed, thinking that they can no longer take care of their loved one in the home, in the current setting. What's sort of the one thing you would tell them to, to help them feel at ease with that decision or transition? I would tell them, be easier on yourself. It's such a mental toll. If you want, call us, call me. We are here. We do this job because we love this job. We chose this job because we have a passion for it. And we really want to help people. We want to help families. We want you to know there's options. There's a reason there's so many facilities around every area you drive around. It's because it's a need. It's a huge need. And eventually, we might all need that facility to help us even or help our loved ones. And we are here as an additional support. So please don't hesitate. Call us if you want more questions, more answers. But we love what we do for a reason, and we want to be there for you. And Laura Fleming that you're hearing, she's sort of our our first face that you may meet if you have a loved one on hospice care or needing someone to go on hospice care in a facility. But she also mentioned the team specifically the nursing, the CNAs, the social workers, and the chaplain. The social worker does a lot of help with that family connection. The nurses do the same. And our CNAs take great care of our patients along with the the, the great work that the CNAs do uh, who work for the facilities as well. So we are really, uh, you know, we wanted to bring this because we were talking before we got on that we talked about long-term care on episode two of this. And we kind of just did a, a huge overview. And and now that we're wrapping up season two here, it was really important to talk about a, a major part of, of our work in hospice, which is in our being in our facilities, being in our hospital systems and reaching out to families that way. And it was just really important for us to bring that to you so you could understand that, that hospice isn't just something that you have to have in your home. It's not just something where you have to come to the Hinkle Hospice House on our campus on 64. It's something that we provide where you are and facilities is a huge part of that. So thank you, Laura, for joining us today. Thank you.